In just a moment, we're going to read a, a beloved scripture that I learned as a boy. My, my father taught it to me, and um, it, it is one of those scriptures that can bring a lot of comfort and a lot of grace, um, and it's a good reminder, particularly when we're having a difficult time. Uh, and I pray that you hear it anew today um, from God. Will you share in God's good word with me? We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus didn't say that. What did Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Um, these sorts of phrases you may have heard, uh, and over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into those, and we're going to say, are, are these things true? Well, ish, right? Kind of. They're, they're really half-truths, and much of the material uh, that Andy and I will be sharing over the next four weeks um, comes from a little book called Half-Truths um, by Reverend Adam Hamilton of our flagship church up in Kansas City. Um, and we, we've changed it around. We're not doing it exactly that way. Um, and we're calling it Jesus Didn't Say That. What did Jesus say? Uh, today we start with this one. Everything happens for a reason. Will you say that with me? Everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that before? Maybe say, somebody said that to you before? Everything happens for a reason. Um, now, this statement is true, of course, if by that we mean that we live in a world of cause and effect. Of, of course that's true. Um, so, for example, if, if um, you take some Na, which is sodium, that element, and you take Cl, which is chloride, and you put them together, you get what? Salt, table salt, right? And so when we're at McDonald's and I get some salt and I'm like putting it on my fries, Chantel says, everything happens for a reason. No, that's not right. I mean, nobody says that there. I mean, it does. I mean, heart disease later. But, but the thing is, right, that's not how we normally hear it. Right? We, we, norm, we know that if you put Na and Cl together, you get table salt. Yes, there's cause and effect. But normally, where I hear this is not at the restaurant, but at the hospital, in a waiting room. When a family is awaiting a diagnosis, did the person live or did they die? Do they have cancer? Do they not have cancer? Is our, is our whole world going to be different from now on or not? Those are the sorts of places that I hear this phrase. And friends, if someone is hurting and they're grieving and they are in a time of pain, please, they do not need to hear everything happens for a reason. They don't need to hear that. And, and particularly if they're not a person of faith, um, what happens next is they're, they're thinking this, what kind of God do you worship that would give my wife or my husband or my child cancer? What are you saying? God would do this. This is part of God's plan. What, what do you... What are you telling me? Now, so we're not going to do that. But at the same time, if you're in the hospital um, or you're with a friend who's in deep grief and you hear one of your friends say, everything happens for a reason, for heaven's sake, do not say, uh-uh, Pastor Mark says that's not right. That is not the time and place for that conversation. 
right? It's, it's not the time for the argument, right? When people are hurting, they need our presence, they need our love, they need our care. Uh, they don't need some big theological explanation for suffering. It wouldn't be kind, would it? It wouldn't be helpful. And I know that for many of uh, our congregants here, it's happened to you. You've been in the midst of a terrible situation, and somebody's sort of throwing a, a Christian cliche at you, so then get out of the conversation. It's maddening, isn't it, when that happens to you? It's very hurtful. So if you are here this morning, if you're here this morning, and, and you're in the midst of a struggle, and you're in the midst of pain, I don't, I don't mean to make light of it at all, and I, and I don't certainly want to cause you any more pain, um, but at the same time, um, we need to be people, God calls us to be people of love and light and thinking and help and sobriety around these issues. So I hope today that we can move forward as a community uh, to better work with God in all things to bring this love and light, this very heaven to earth, the way, thing God, the way things God wants done to be done. So let's get started. So in Romans 8.28, um, I learned it this way in the NRSV, which is the translation we often use around here. Uh, Paul is writing in a context to Christians in the early church to Rome. This is his letter to Rome. This isn't Jesus. This is Paul. And he's writing, and he says, we know, notice that he's using the collective we. He's talking to the community. He says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, now this is good, but it's, it's, it's tricky because what Paul's saying is we know, as people of faith, who people who know the Spirit, we know this. But the problem is the focus is on the wrong words. Not, not all things are good, are they? No, some things are terrible. Some things are exactly the opposite of God's will. And so it's not that all things uh, are working. Uh, so, so it's a translation, but it, I think we can do better than that. Uh, a better would be this. God makes all things work together for good. And that's translated that way from the Greek in another place. Um, by another translation. And this is better because it's God as the emphasis and God's making things happen, but it's still problematic because it implies that all things, God's making all things happen. Every bit of it is under his direct direction. And that leads to some really dangerous places if if you follow the logic out. I think in this case, the New International Version does a much better job here on this text It says, and we know, again, talking to the collective community, we know that in all things, God works. So who's at work? God. It's not not just stuff, right? It's not universalism. It's not just that the wind and the tree over here is doing something. No, it's God doing it. So that's better. God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. I think that's a really good translation. But there's actually another step that's even better. And, And it's also been translated this way from the Greek. Read it with me. God works together with those who love him to bring about good. Now, that's what I want you to know. That's the best translation, I believe, of Romans 8, 28. So let's read it together again. God works together with those who love him to bring about good. That's our job, to actually bring heaven to earth, that God wants to work with you. God is always wooing you and talking to you and nudging you. And if you've been a Christian very long at all, you know this. There are these times where you just think, man... I, I normally go home this way, but, but I need to go this way, or I need to stop by the hospital to see a friend. And I can't tell you how many times in my ministry the Lord's kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you, you just need to go see so-and-so in the hospital. Um, and I'm like, I was just there, like this morning, or I was just there yesterday. Uh, but I'll, but I'll, when I'm obedient, I'm not always obedient, but when I am, more often than not, something amazing happens. 
I'll, I'll be walking into Mercy Hospital, going up to the sixth floor for the sixth time. And it just so happens that I've got another family having surgery, emergency surgery I didn't know anything about. And they'll yell out, Pastor Mark. And I'm like, hey, I guess I was supposed to come today. I didn't know why, but here it is. And there they are. And God works a miracle because of our obedience, because of our following of his, his touch. Does it happen in your life? You, you know this. When you, you step into that and, and things that you don't expect happen, happen. And it's beautiful. But as we step into these um, conversations over the next four weeks, I, I, I want to say out loud um, that there's a warning here. That when our beliefs are questioned, we can become irritated. Isn't that true? The things that you thought you had checked the box and they were in bed and you don't want to think about it anymore because it's, it's hard work and you're tired and you've had a long week. You know, just tell me something nice, Pastor. Don't, don't make me think. Don't, don't make me do anything else. We can become irritated. And some of you are already irritated with me already. We haven't even hardly got started. You're like, hey, wait, wait a minute. And part of it is about tradition. So in our church, about a third of us are United Methodists. We came from other Methodist churches from around the state or around the country. Uh, about another third of us are from different traditions. Uh, Christian, but just started in different ways. And then about a third of us at our church are brand new Christians, people that this is your really your first formation. Um, and depending on how you've been raised... Um, this is either going to track real easy with you, and you're like, wow, yeah, thanks for saying it out loud. And for others, you're like, wait a minute. What is he saying? What does that mean about this in my life? What does that mean about that thing that I thought God did? What does that mean? And it can be very difficult. And we're not trying to make life difficult for you. We're trying to bring you freedom and faithfulness and obedience and joy. So this is super important that we work on this together, and this is why. Because sometimes, depending on how we understand this, where, where, where God's working, where we're working, how that works, it can actually lead to issues of life and death. Let's take a look. You win. I'm done. Please. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be God. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. Kneel down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. Isn't that right? God may call you to kneel down and pray, not I-35. Right? It's dangerous stuff we're talking about. I love Bruce Almighty. I recommend it to you. It's one of my favorite movies. You see, it's important to read any scripture in light of its context. Of course, we're supposed to pray. But the when and the where and the how is important. Isn't it? God doesn't want you run over. God doesn't want you praying in the middle of the interstate. So we look at these things in context. What was Paul saying to the early church in Rome? What was the larger argument? How does this sit in the middle of it? So if you have your Bibles today, I'll also put it on the screen. If you were to back up into the two verses before this, what you're going to find out is that Paul was writing to the church about the Holy Spirit. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us. That's what the Spirit of God is for, is to help you in this life right now. Helps us in our weakness, which was really important in Rome because they were heavily persecuted. 
For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes with sighs, the NIV says, with groans, too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. Now, friends, here's the thing. There are times and moments in your life where you, the, the loss is so deep, the pain is so raw and hard that you can't even make a word. When you, if you've lost a child or you've lost a loved one or you've been in the midst of a tragedy, you know what this is. You can't even catch your breath. You're just weeping and you don't even know how to pray. You can't even get words out to God. It's just like, ugh. You know, you're, you're on the floor and you're like, this, I can't live like this another day. And it's just, it's more than you have within you. And what God is saying is God is with you. The Holy Spirit has come to us on the day of Pentecost, the Acts 2 church. And that very spirit will take that groan, that sob, that weeping, and turn it into the most perfect, beautiful prayer so that God knows exactly what you need, so that God will comfort you in that. And some of you have experienced this. In your mind, you're thinking, God, help me. And somehow, God does. You can even get a prayer out. But God is with you anyway. Isn't that true in your life? You come to these moments and, and God is right there. You, don't, you can't explain it. You don't know how. But he takes those groans, those sighs, those sobs. And he makes it the most beautiful prayer that helps you and lifts you up and gets you to the next day. So the Spirit helps us by turning these groans into prayers. These sighs, these sobs. That's who God is to help you right now in this day. And of course in the future. Now, we've got some problems, though, when we get to this, everything happens for a reason. Even though God is trying to help us, we don't always allow that help. We don't always respond to that help. And sometimes we hurt people in our search for comfort when something terrible happens to ourselves, to our families, to others, um, to our nation. It's in suffering that we try to console or be consoled by saying that God has a particular purpose for bringing about or at least allowing situations in which people suffer. We're really grasping um, for an argument. You know, we've got to make sense of what's been senseless. And the thinking goes like this, doesn't it? That since God is in charge of everything, right? We say that God is omnipotent. He has all power and he's omniscient. He knows everything. Since God is in charge, then whatever happens, whatever happens to our country, to our state, to our nation, to our lives, a personal setback, an untimely death, a natural disaster, it reflects the will of God. That's how the argument goes. But if we extend this logic, we can arrive at some pretty silly and even dangerous conclusions. Today is our 17th birthday, officially. Now, some of you were there. September 9th, 2001, we were over at Cheyenne Middle School. Um, It was in our tradition at the time that you had to have 100 adults um, to become an official United Methodist Church. Uh, Chantel and I had worked since February of 99 to get us to that point. We didn't know if we would make it. We were sweating it. We had given everything we had. I mean, we were done. We were toast. It was a great celebration. We came out to the land under some tents and cooked burgers, and it was, it was a beautiful and exhausting day. And Monday was our day off, and so we are just like, whew, man, we did it. We're, we're finally at church. We don't know if it's going to last two more weeks, but at least we're here today. You know, just like, woof. We were just done. And Tuesday morning was our first day to be uh, back at it, so to speak, and, you know, kind of pick up the loose ends of, you know, actually becoming a church. And our phone started ringing. Are you watching the news? Are you watching what's happening in New York? Do we need to go get our kids from school? Do, what do we do? Are we having a worship service? Um, what's going on? Are we under attack? What, what in the world is going on? 
and it would, I mean, with strength that we didn't have, somehow we, we called a little church down on 2nd Street. We said, hey, can we rent the space tonight? We need to be in prayer for our country and for one another, and we need to be together tonight. And so we had a worship service on 9-11 that night to, to pray and to comfort and to, to be in God's presence together. The church was two days old. Two days old. And, it, I mean, it was just terrible. Some of you remember right where you were, what was going on. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And people were looking for any sort of, any sort of argument or explanation of what God was doing, how God would allow this. And two of the leading Christian figures in our country at the time uh, went on air two days later on the 13th, and they said this. What we saw on Tuesday, as terrible as it is, could be minuscule if in fact if in fact God continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of America to give us probably what we deserve. Well, Jerry, that's my feeling. I think we've just seen the, the antechamber to terror. We haven't even begun to see what they can do to the major population. I mean, the ACLU, uh, the ACLU's got to take a lot of blame for this. Oh yeah. And I know I'll hear from them for this, but uh, Throwing God off successfully with the help of the federal court system, throwing God out of the public square, out of the schools. Uh, the abortionists have got to bear some burden for this because uh, God will not be mocked. And when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I, I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who tried to secularize America, I point the thing in their face and say, you helped this happen. Well, I, I totally concur. Two days. Now, I know it's been 17 years, but let me say clearly and unequivocally, no. No. I mean, let's, let's put our, let's not check our brains at the door here, friends. No. If, if you study history at all, if you study foreign policy at all, if you talk to the men and women of our military, which I did after service, um, they're very clear about what happens. Let's, let's look at the facts about what it is and... And the temptation and inclination in all of us to blame someone else when things are going wrong in our life. You'll notice they took no blame themselves. Not a lick of it. They pushed it on to somebody else. Let, let's remember truth. September 11th, 9-11, there was a series of four coordinated terrorist attacks by the Islamic terrorist group called Al-Qaeda. Against the United States on the morning of Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. These attacks killed 2,996 people. That's a fact. And injured more than 6,000 others. Now, you want to know why this is? You look up why 9-11 happened. The scholars, the historians, the people who have the best minds that have been studying this for years now will tell you this, that the origins of Al-Qaeda can be traced back to 1979. Decades and decades and decades of growing to this moment under multiple administrations and multiple different foreign policies and multiple different um, conflicts uh, of funding, helping, and weaponizing different radical groups depending on what was best for our country at the time. 1979, uh, particularly around the Soviet Union in Afghanistan at that time. 
Then Osama bin Laden traveled to Afghanistan to help organize an Arab resistance to the Soviet Union. And in 1996, bin Laden issued his first fatwa, calling for American soldiers to leave Saudi Arabia. And then again in 1998, there was a second fatwa that bin Laden outlined about his objections to American foreign policy with respect first to Israel and secondly for our continued presence in Saudi Arabia after the uh, Gulf War about American troops being there. Because you'll remember, still true today, that Saudi Arabia is an Islamic state. It's a country where Islam is the deal. And it, it is a religious um, affront for foreign powers to be in their country and to be stationed there. Now, let me back up and say, look, as a citizen of the United States, I'd much prefer to have our, our wars over there than in our backyard. I'm with you on that. I'm mean, absolutely. But when we come to why things happen, we have to look at the facts about that. So what bin Laden did next was he used Islamic texts, scriptures, their scriptures, not on your phone text, to exhort Muslims to attack Americans until the stated grievances are reversed. And the primary mandate for jihad was that American soldiers were fighting in Islamic countries. And that was the call to action. Now, you'll notice in the video, they didn't say anything at that time about American Muslims living here, praying five times a day, and being active parts in our country. But others did, and this was the result. People who went to school and went to church or their mosque, and they, they were praying for America and were citizens of our country, were brutalized in the days and weeks and years to follow. This is the problem, friends. And, and let's just get this straight. I absolutely know in my bones that Osama bin Laden was not hanging out in a cave wondering what the ACLU or the gays or the lesbians or the doctors were doing in, in America. That was not his deal. Right? I mean, we just got to get this straight and right in our minds because otherwise people are murdered because of what other Christians think someone might be to blame about something going on. Does this make sense? Super important. Because you never know the next time it, it might be the Christians. Has been before in world history, by the way. Often. So here's a problem. And that is a lack of personal responsibility. Isn't that true? A lack of personal responsibility. And, and so um, if you take it to the extreme, it's whatever I do is God's plan. Everything that I do is God's plan. And whatever happens, happens. Uh, Andy was telling me about uh, when we were getting ready, he said he, he knew of these guys who had picked up a Christian speaker at the airport. And as they were driving him back um, to his location where he was going to speak, uh, the car kept going ding, 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 ding. Looked over, the guy didn't wear his seatbelt. And they said, hey, you're going to need to buckle up. And he goes, nope, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Ding, ding, ding. You see where this goes. Now, now let me ask you this. What about this guy? Might be his time to go. Right? I'm told that's a, that's a real photo of a guy in flip-flops going 80 uh, down the freeway. If that's his last day on earth, is that God's fault? No. No, that is not smart. Right? But if you, if you fully subscribe to if it's my time to go, it's my time to go, then that makes total sense to you. It's on God. It's not on him. Or, this is also dangerous. I wouldn't recommend this at home. You could try this next. I don't recommend it. For those listening to the podcast, it says, honey, I'm sorry, I forgot your birthday. It must have been the will of God. Right? That might end you just as easily. You have no idea how this might go. 
So I, I want you to know what the Bible does say about personal responsibility. In the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first chapter in Genesis, the very first book, the very first chapter, in the 28th verse, it says this. God blessed them, meaning man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and have, what's the word? Dominion, right? That's power over, that's stewardship of, over everything. Fish in the sea, birds of the air, every living thing upon the earth. And what that means is that we have dominion, meaning we are responsible. Say that with me. We have dominion, meaning we are responsible. We are. God says so. First book, first chapter. What we do matters. What we do has consequences. Now, we do this all the time. We never think about it. It's not a big deal to us. When I go skiing, I like to go downhill. I like to go fast. This is my oldest boy when he was little. Um, I picked out the pants and the sweater myself. Um, so here's the thing. My choices. Now, each time I hit the mountain, I like to go fast. Matter of fact, I got an app on my phone that says I, I've gone 55 miles an hour on a pair of skis. Yeah. You think about that. All this coming at you <laughs> at 55 miles an hour. Yeah, that's scary. It's scary business. It has consequences. And before I do that, you know what it says. It says I have to sign a waiver before I can get my lift ticket. I have to sign a waiver before I get my skis. It says, if I take you out, if I kill you coming down at 55 miles an hour, or myself, or I injure you or somebody else, or I run over a small child, which is very possible, right? It's not their fault. I hold them harmless. They guarantee. They've got lawyers that look at it, and they make sure that no matter what happens... I'm, and, and you do this too. We're like, oh yeah, it's not your fault. That's my responsibility, right? And if I mistake uh, and misjudge uh, the lift or other skiers, that's on me. And they tell me everywhere I go, no, 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 not so fast, boom, 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 right? This is dangerous stuff. And whatever happens next is on you. It's not on us. And isn't that interesting? I think it's so interesting that when, it, when I go skiing in the winter or I go uh, and get a jet ski in the summer, or, or I do all kinds of things, and I sign agreements that it's my responsibility, I get that, and that's no big deal. But if anything else happens in the rest of my life, but that's God's fault. Right? I lose my job. God did it. I've got a problem in my marriage. God did it. My kids aren't raised right. God did it. Isn't this true? Then in certain things, we're like, well, of course, that's ours. And then, but it, with everything else, it's like, oh, that's God. And, and you hear this all the time. People say this. Well, it is what it is. Really? Really? Yeah. And, and here's the difficult thing that, that nobody wants to talk about. And that is my choices are mine. Nobody else's. And your choices are yours. Aren't they? What you do matters. What you do today matters. And the choice is yours. Because this is a little rude, but I think it's true. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. Right now, we're not used to stupid in church other than this. But it's fun. That's funny. Come on, that's funny. It's also true. There are a lot of bad decisions being made out there. And we don't get to blame God for them. It's not his fault. The second problem is this. E-H-F-A-R, by the way, is everything happens for a reason is that it makes God responsible for, for everyone's actions. And, that, and that's not true either. We just need to own that. Our actions have consequences for us and others. 
And, and this is the big lie in America, that you can have this sort of individual responsibility about yourself and, and that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody else. I do what I do and it's fine. No, everything you do affects you and others. You talk to kids with fetal alcohol syndrome. Their mom's choice to drink changed their whole trajectory of life. Let's, let's, I mean, let's, let's be serious about this. What you do today has huge consequences for tomorrow, and we don't really know what those are until later, and we look back. Now, this problem's been around for thousands and thousands of years, and the people of God had to make sense of the things that were happening to them. And so Moses says to the people, when you have become complacent in the land, a real temptation, if you act corruptly, real temptation, by making an idol in the form of anything, thus doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger... I'll call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land. Now, that happened. But here's the difference, and this is a really important difference. You'll notice that in the video, bad things were happening, and they were blaming some small minority group that they did not like. In the Bible, when there are bad things happening, the people themselves, the chosen people of God, are having to make sense of what is it about us that needs to change. It's not about blaming someone else. It's about real reflection about who we are. And certainly that's true with the prophets, particularly the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah both. Prophets help a faith community make sense of the world. So in, in 922, there's one huge, wonderful kingdom under David uh, and Solomon. And then in 722, it divides into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And in 722, Assyria, this is uh, the Assyrian Empire in 650, they come, they march into Jerusalem, and they take all kinds of people, scholars and businessmen and women, and they, they pull them out down to Egypt, and they pull them over into modern-day Syria, and they enslave them. And the people of God said, well, what in the world is going on? And Isaiah, being self-reflective on their behalf and saying, this is what God says, Isaiah says on God's behalf, oh, Assyria, the rod of my anger. Right? They're trying to make sense of it. The club in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, I send him. Against the people, my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire in the streets. You see, they were having to, they were having to figure out what in the world happened. How do we keep this from happening again? But it was a communal decision about what was going on in their life. That leads us to the, the third problem. And that is that when these problems are so big and we don't know what to do and we're just starting on them, you can have fatalism and indifference. It's just this whatever will be, will be. It's too big. I can't think about it. I just can't deal with it. And the consequences of that thinking are, are terrible. It just leaves the world as it is and gets worse. So we believe around here that God's providence oversees what happens on our planet. Yes, God's active in that, but that God has invited us, you and me, to be co-laborers in bringing heaven to earth. What you do matters. When he taps you on the shoulder, it matters. When you follow or don't follow, it matters. It really matters. Now, some, at this point, some of you are really nervous or, or it's, it's really hard on you because you've used this sort of thinking to get through a hard time. Uh, and, and we'll accept that and, and thank God for that. But here's the thing. Most of that comes out of, of this man, John Calvin, uh, in the 1500s. And one of the beautiful things that John Calvin did was in that day, there were kings and queens um, and feudal lords, and, and it was thought, much like throughout the Bible and still around today, that rich people were blessed by God and the poor deserved it. And that allowed them to keep living how they were living, that the servants would always serve and the kings and queens could do whatever they wanted, and it was a blessing of God. And John Calvin said, no, 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 hold on, there's hope. If, if you're a poor person and you think you're way outside the, the love of God, 
uh, or, or even salvation, you never know. Maybe God has predetermined that you would go to heaven anyway. Nobody can tell you otherwise. It was a theology of hope for servants and, and folks in a slave-like condition. It was a beautiful thing at the time. He would even go as far as to say this, that no wind ever rises or rages without God's special command. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but in living in Oklahoma, I think that I want my forecaster to be a scientist and not a prophet. Right? Uh, Aaron, is Aaron here today? Where's Aaron? Where are you? Where's Aaron? There he is. There's Aaron Bracken. We love you, Aaron. Uh, Aaron's on channel four. He's a, a forecaster, and we love him. Um, and th- there he is with his team. Um, but for me, uh, particularly in tornado season, when he's going to give me the seven day, I don't want him praying about it. I want him looking at the radar, right? When the tornado sirens go off, I'm like, I wonder how Aaron's prayer life is. No. I want him looking at the radar. And I want him looking at the satellites. I guarantee if you're on the coast, you're, you want him to look at the satellite this week, right? Because it's a matter of life and death to you. Now, when we ask Aaron about it, if, if we could do this, he goes, well, we do pray, you know. Like, we, sometimes we do pray about it because there are certain weather anomalies from time to time. That's true. It happens. There are places that 100% chance of rain, no rain. I'm not being mean to you. I'm just saying it happens, right? <laughs> or it stays cloudy and rainy for a month or whatever it is, right? But here's the thing. Calvin taught predestination, meaning that everything happens, is predetermined by God before any of us were born, including salvation. Your ability to say yes to God or no to God, it's predetermined. That's what he would teach. It's called double predestination. And, and this has some really, really terrible consequences today. My first year of ministry, um, I served in Minka, Oklahoma, uh, as a senior pastor there, and I went to the, the police chief, and I said to the police chief there, I said, hey, I'm the new pastor here. Um, we don't have a jail here. We would take people down to Grady County um, if they you know, needed to stay a few days or a few nights uh, before they came to trial. And I said to him, if we have somebody from Minko that goes down there, let me know. And he goes, what for? And I said, well, you know, Jesus says that if someone's in prison, go visit them. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, excuse me, I'm, I, I'm just asking. He goes, no. He goes, they're in jail because they're supposed to be in jail. They're predestined to be in jail. You're predestined to be a pastor. Those are bad people. They belong there. You'll never know. I was like, huh, that's different. That's how he sees the world. It's still around today. Very clear to him that everybody in jail is supposed to be in jail. Everybody who's not in jail is not supposed to be in jail. doesn't matter what you do. If you're supposed to get caught, you'll get caught. If you don't, you don't. Right? But it's actually more problematic than that, and, and that's this. This is a true story. There's a two-year-old unzipped his mom's purse in the middle of Walmart, pulls out a handgun. He thinks it's a toy. He points it at his mom. He pulls a trigger. He kills her. Is that God's will? No. The answer is no. If you read your Bible even a little bit, you know that in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. This is not God's will. It's absolutely against God's will. It is not God's will that anybody should be an orphan by killing their own mother and having to live with that the rest of their life. No. We're to care for the orphan and the widow and, and take, surround them with love and care. Absolutely not God's will. So in our tradition, uh, 200 years later, building on much of the great and incredible theological thinking of Calvin... Our founder, John Wesley, 200 years later in the 1700s, begins to talk about provenient grace 
in a different way of understanding God's work in the world. And unlike Calvin, Wesley believed in what's known as resistible grace. Will you say that with me? Resistible grace. Calvin taught it was irresistible that no matter what happened, happened. And Wesley said, no, 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 God wants everybody to be saved, but you have a choice about that. You can step into it or you cannot. And for both Calvin and Wesley, grace is unmerited. There's nothing, it's unearned. There's nothing you do to get it, but God offers it. God offers it to everyone. It's just that for the Calvinist, it's predetermined and for uh, Wesley and movements, it's not. So Wesley taught that God wills that all, who? All humanity to be saved. And of course, this is in line with what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting, read it with me, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right? 2 Peter, the founder of the church. So God gives us free will and grace, real power to choose heaven, to co-work, to co-labor with God. And the, just the terrible tragedy is, of course, that some choose to accept God's saving grace while others reject it. And if you're a parent of more than one child, you know this. You can make an offer to your children, and you know full well that one's going to say yes and one's going to say no. It doesn't change your character. It doesn't change your love. It doesn't change your heart for them. It just, one's going to say yes and one's going to say no. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change who God is. You see, God has given us freedom, you and I, to make choices for better or worse. The challenge to follow God's way cannot be put off to later, friends. It's too important. The consequences are too important. So when God nudges you, when God taps you on the shoulder, respond. Because God's trying to work through you for the betterment of the world, to bring his will to earth. And so as our action step, friends, I want you to remember what God is alive and well and interceding for you. And I want you to look and to listen for how God could use you to bring good into a hard situation. Or how you might bring good out of a bad situation. It's really important. And I remind you that God is with you. He loves you. And yes, terrible things happen. Terrible things happen in our life. Um, I'm so glad to see Doug this morning. You know, one of the hard conversations we had to have when we found out that um, his little one had leukemia. It's like, what, what in the world? I mean, this is terrible stuff. It's not God's will. And... Um, I, just, I want you to know, it is not God's will that any child should die prematurely. It's not God's will that any child receive cancer. It's, no, it's not God's will that any adult gets cancer, right? And sometimes well-meaning friends will say stuff to us like, oh, you know, God just needed one more little angel in heaven. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He does not. God makes angels. They're angels. He makes mortals for a full and wonderful life. Now, what we do in the midst of that struggle is important. And God can bring that good out. And he's with us. And he's praying with us. And he loves us. And he's there for you today. And your community is here for you today. I want you to be encouraged that God is with us. And what happens next is good and wonderful and still yet to come. God is with us. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of love, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God of power, a God of healing, a God of comfort. And we thank you that even when we don't have words, we don't even know how to pray, that your spirit comes to us and intercedes for us and blesses us even when we can't. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.